Hey guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, and I have my good friend here, Rahul. Usually, Rahul, we open with the men's games, but I don't think there's a better way to start off this episode than with the Chelsea women, because they are back, two back, two back champions of England. <laughs> That's right. Three-time Super League champions. And I think this is their fifth title, if I'm not mistaken, as That's well. That's right. That is right. Five in total for Emma Hayes, uh, but three in a row for the first time ever in the history of the league. Uh, and so by winning this, we've created history uh, as a club. And, and what a season to do it in. A, we've had ups and downs, and you and I were talking earlier about uh, Chelsea and having highs and lows, but I said... The women always end on a high, and, and today was that day. And since this Women's Super League started back in 2011, we now open a little bit of a gap of the number of wins that we've had in a total of five. And I think the closest person to us, I'm looking over here, is Arsenal with three. So that gives us a little bit of a buffer room, and hopefully we can continue another one maybe next season. Not trying to get ahead of ourselves, but opening up that gap more and solidifying what you say, just highs after highs after highs. Absolutely. And, and you touch on Arsenal, I think, um, before we banter them, let's give them credit for, for putting up a good fight this season. Uh, for a long time, they were up uh, on, in first place. I believe the stat here is 182 days at the top of the, the WSL table. So to lose it by a point on the final day, uh, all credit to them, but the, the best team and, and the better team uh, rose to the top and, and got the job done. And I'm glad you mentioned Arsenal because it's such an exciting challenge to come to the last day. And I think you need to know you have to win to get away with this title because you don't know what's going on elsewhere. I'm sure if they drew and we drew, it's fine, but you don't know what's going on. And so in your head, you have to take it to a win. And I think that's what makes the game so exciting is when you don't know what you're expecting, play your hardest and go out there and try and get the job done. And, and, we didn't make it easy to get started with. So I'll turn it over to you for a few minutes to run us through that. We, we didn't. And as we say, if it was easy, it wouldn't be Chelsea. So uh, we started this championship Sunday knowing, like you said, we would have at least at a minimum have to match Arsenal's result uh, who are playing West Ham away. And yes, the players on the field may have not known, but I'm sure the, the coaching staff and, and uh, some of the, the people in the stands knew or had their year uh, on that Arsenal game. But Yes, we faced Manchester United at home and didn't make it easy. We went back. Uh, we fell back twice on either side of an Aaron Cuthbert goal going into halftime 2-1 down. And honestly, Jackie, this first half, it was a little bit early here in the U.S. when, when the game was on. So um, I may not be 100% accurate, but <laughs> when I say we were lost and not looking like the team that we usually are, um, 
in that first half. There was no pattern of play. There was just kind of let's lump it forward and see what happens. We were absolutely losing the midfield battle and there was changes needed, big changes, big motivation at halftime from Emma Hayes. And that's exactly what came through with uh, in the second half. And she made the changes. Ji So Young comes on for her final appearance as Chelsea's number 10. Uh, Beth England is the other sub who comes on and we change it up a little bit, and within minutes of the restart, Sam Kerr, once again, surprise, surprise, out of nowhere, really. It's it's a ball that gets played into the ball, uh, into the box, I beg your pardon. I think Aaron Cuthbert tries a shot, which gets deflected off of a defender and falls into Sam Kerr's path. And she does what instinct, instinctly comes to her, which is just hit it on the volley, and it goes right in. And, and that was the moment you, you say it's going in our favor because like I said, within one minute or two minutes of that second half, you get that equalizer and you start believing again and you start doubting and those, those, the nervous energy from the crowd kind of goes away and everyone starts saying, okay, we're going to do this. And, and Sam Kerr gives you that, not just with the goal, but with the way she does it. Yeah. And look, I think she's been instrumental this season as have many others, but Whenever a goal is needed, whenever a moment of magic, I'll say, is needed, she seems to step up and get it done. And I think you're right. When you're going 2-1 down and you have the worry of the pressure of trying to win this thing, you sometimes need big personalities to step up. And not only is it a tap-in or whatnot, it's finding the presence of mind and that power to get that volley in there to make it happen. And I, I think it does two things. One, it settles the nerves, like we said, because there's a lot going on that first half where we, we don't look alive. But two, now it's inspiring us saying on the last day when we need a result, she pulls up an, an amazing volley like that. And we'll talk about something else towards the end of the game, but she pulls up an amazing volley like that. I think it energizes the rest of the team to step up and do what they need to do now. Absolutely. And, and you could see the belief coming back into the squad. I think at that point, Arsenal was still drawing. So we had gone back up on, on the in first spot, uh, but we weren't happy with that. And, and we continued pushing and, uh, I think Manchester United, for how good or how decent they were in that first half, just got blown away by us with with just the sheer intensity and, and willingness and determination to get it done. But we get a third within minutes of that Sam Kerr goal. I think five minutes later, Guru Raitan steps up, third goal, 3-2 up. But th- what I want to touch here, as I mentioned, Ji Soyeon came on. She was not only instrumental in midfield in terms of adding, uh, you know, her presence and in, in into the, her uh, anticipation in terms of intercepting balls, but she played an inch-perfect pass in Pernilla Harder's path for in the lead-up to this goal, which eventually falls to Goro Raitan, and she makes it 3-2. But you could see why she came on, and, and within five minutes, six minutes of, of the second half, you're thinking, why is she leaving us? I think that's the key, right? The goal was okay. There is nothing about the goal that I want to take away credit from, but the goal is made by that pass, that inch perfect through ball that goes through all the Man United legs and it finds Penilla on the corner and she's able to just slot it in for right time to, to put it away but it does come back to having the presence of mind and I don't know maybe she had a ruler because she measured that ball so perfectly to get there it, it's really something that's that made that goal so very very important like you said I think she going away and leaving Chelsea this summer she first of all she leaves as a champion which is the most important thing right and I know that's ex- ex- exciting but how do you find someone to replace that person that can come on and do all the things you mentioned, not only defensively, but also offensively as well? 
Yeah, and and this this is what she's done all all her career at Chelsea, and it was fitting that she comes on and does it and, and turns the game around. So it's three two in the fifty first minute, and with the equalizer, like we said, the belief was back going up three two. Now the team were determined not to let this slip, and you could see from the pressing, from just overall everywhere on the pitch, everyone was just determined to make it happen. And you've got to give credit to Emma Hayes for the subs. Yes, G Soyon was phenomenal in midfield but I think bringing on Beth England as another option up front and allowing maybe Sam Kerr the freedom to float a little bit and Pernilla Arter to drive through and Guru Raitan like we said to do her thing uh, it just occupied Manchester United a little bit more than than the first half and leads to in the 66 minute leads to maybe a mistake or or, or a clearance from the Manchester United goalie that falls to Guru Raitan's head she hits it back towards Sam Kerr, who controls it on her chest. And I don't think anyone, including her, expected what came next, which was she just hits it, loops it towards goal. And yes, the goalie was off her line because she had come off to, to clear that ball, which fell to right hand. And it drops right into the net. And I think Sam Kerr, you and I were talking before we started recording, from her face and her celebration, she was like, did I actually just do that? I think what's important is if you haven't seen the goal, go take a look. It gives you that Didier Drogba-esque finish, which is not only is it a technically solid goal, I think it's one of those where you now start to appreciate how attentive she is to what's going on in the pitch. Because like you like you described, the Manchester United goalie has come off the line a little bit further off to the side to clear that ball. And Sam Kerr is not even looking at the net. She's looking away from the net, her back to the goal. When she lands, now she's got that understanding or she's paid attention to all of her surroundings that takes on the chest and swivels and hits in midair, knowing that there's no one there to protect the net. And yes, she was surprised, but I think that's how much she needs to believe in herself a little bit more because the fact that she knew where the goalkeeper was, how much pressure to put in the ball, where to put it in the corner and still went in the net, it's absolutely out of this world. And I think we would see that very rarely, let alone on the last day of the season, when you have all that pressure on your on your shoulders. And so big up to her. She's been one of those players, Rahola. We've talked about her already this season and, and a few minutes ago as well. That's world, world class, as we call it. And she just continues to prove us right every single time. She does. And, and she came in, I believe it's two and a half, maybe three seasons ago at this point. She did have a slow start to her career. I think a lot of people ask questions as to if she was good enough or the right fit for this Chelsea squad because at that point we had Fran Kirby, Beth England was flying, Pernilla Arder came in the following summer and so there were questions in and around her and she's squashed those questions, she's turned it into motivation to not only become the, the footballer of the year for the women's league this time around but even in the final game here she's the person that bails us out of, to an extent with the goals, of course it's a team effort, everyone does their job but Ultimately, the goals are what get you back into the game and win you the title. And she did it. And, and that's 20 goals in 20 league games and golden boot winner once again. And she's showing, like you said, she's world class. And she's one of the, the key pieces of this squad that uh, Emma Hayes is going to count on next season to maybe do it for a fourth time. Yeah, and I want to talk about Emma Hayes for a minute, Rahul, because we had Ben Jacobs here a few episodes ago and he has had the privilege of actually commentating on the women's game. And right. so 
I think more than anybody else as a commentator, maybe he gets a bird's eye view. Maybe he gets a little more time to watch and see. And he had a lot of high praise for MAs, as, as do we, as does Chelsea, as do the entire sports of soccer that they go through and they pay attention and they say, this lady is something special. And I think just how you highlighted what she did at halftime, making sure she did the right changes. Maybe there's a bit of a tactical switch there as well to get them to switch on. I think we're lucky to have a manager like that. I think we've said that about the men's side, but we have to give praise to the women's side as well. I think we're lucky to have a manager like that, that understands the game so keenly, so acutely that she can make those changes. But I think it's difficult to win a title once. It's extremely difficult to win a title twice. It's almost impossible to win it three times unless you are somebody that evolves with the game. And I think she's, she's right up there. Somebody who evolves with the game. Yeah. You, you've, you've said it brilliantly and, um, we've touched on it. I think we may be a little biased, but I think the wider community accepts it too, that she's one of the forces that leads the, the, the drive for the women's game, not just in England, but I think globally. And, uh, even when she's not doing what she does on the pitch or on the sidelines, when she's commentating, I think a lot of people have said she's just brilliant with the insight she brings. And you can see the players trust her. They love her when she has to make certain decisions, like taking Anderson off in her final game at halftime, I'm sure it was not what Anderson wanted or how it was, she wanted it to go, but she knows at the end of the day, Emma Hayes and, and the decision that was made was for the benefit of the team. And, and you can't take it away from her that you turn a 2-1 into a 4-2 win. Uh, and at the end, she Emma Hayes goes onto the pitch, but I think she gave one player a little bit of credit. Very subtly, not many people may have noticed, but she goes up to Aaron Cuthbert, who was the one who scored the first goal, but she gives her a big hug and whisper something into a year and it's probably I need your energy for for to continue <laughs> for the, the next few years because when you watch Cuthbert on the field it's non-stop like I, I don't want to compare her to N'Golo Conte because it would be a disservice to her uh, but she's one person that just never stops and long way to continue because you need players like that that sacrifice themselves for the the team and ultimately just want to win and that's what she she wants to do. I, I'll run through a couple of quick moments here in the title race this season. So we opened up this season with the loss to Arsenal 3-2, which I think is crucial because that ultimately gives Arsenal the belief that maybe we can take the, the current champions down. We go into December. Uh, we go out of the Champions League. We lose to Breading. And so there's a couple of moments. Yes, the Champions League isn't related to the, the Super League, but it ultimately affects morale and motivation and, and mood for the squad. We end the, the first half of the season before the Christmas break. Okay, not doing too well, like I said, because of the Champions League and then the shock loss to Reading. Um, we then get a month off the Christmas break, but also because of COVID and restructuring of games and, and delays. And so now you go, we've had an okay end to the first half of the season. Now we have to wait a whole month. Uh, they come back and they get a draw against Brighton. They get a draw against Arsenal, which arguably could have been a win if, if there was VAR and the, or the right decisions were made. Uh, they then lose the League Cup final again. It's not related directly to the WSL, but if you lose a final against one of yeah. your rivals, that affects how you go into the rest of the season. But Jackie, from that point on, which was early March, they've won nine straight games in the, in, the, in the league, along with winning the FA Cup and making it to the final. But they beat Aston Villa, which was a, pretty much right at the end with the Sam Kerr goal. 
They beat Birmingham last weekend with a penalty, which pretty much comes at the end of the game. They beat Spurs 2-1 at home. They beat United today, which was 4-2. And on all of that, they beat Leicester 9-0, which I think was the, the icing on the top because they just didn't stop going in that game. So they have been crucial moments this season in this title race for the women. And it's just drama like we were talking with Ben. It's drama that you get from all ends of the table. And it goes to the final day. It's not like Chelsea just ran away with this. So key key moments that went towards Chelsea and hopefully the squad will go into next season with maybe not making it so nervy and, and running away to uh, before the end of the season. But again, congratulations to them. And there is still one more trophy to play for. Yeah. And I, and I want to wrap up my thoughts on this segment because I think you've done a wonderful job of highlighting key moments. And I think a lot of us here that support the women's team will remember key moments like a 4-2 to Manchester United, a 9-0 nine, to Leicester, that all is big moments, lots of goals, lots of fun. But I'm glad you highlighted the things like the one nail last minute winner to Aston Villa or the one nail last week against Birmingham in, in a penalty. And I think we have tend to forget those matches because it was not much happening. And you described it that way as well as we did it on the episode. Not much happening. Frankly, we could have done better. We should have scored more. Maybe we were lucky to get away with the one nail win at the end. But those are the moments, Rahul. Those are the moments that make you a champion. Even when your best striker is not going, even when you can pound pressure on another team and they defend really well, finding that split second to carve out the result. And when I say carve out the results, I mean win the game. That is what makes champions, and that is why they deserve to have back-to-back-to-back trophies. And that's what I wanted to share with you. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. And key moments, but also key moments in games where Emma Hayes has to make decisions on the fly and, and sometimes they come off, sometimes they don't. But uh, before we wrap it up, like we said, Ji Soyeon final game, Anderson final game, uh, Drew Spence, no, hold on, give me a second. Yeah, Drew Spence final game and uh, all of them come on eventually or come off, but they do get minutes in the final game and, and get to write off, at least in the league with, with the winner's medal. Hopefully they add to that with an FA Cup, which would be a, a double uh, for the, the team, which according to our standards is not the best because we've, <laughs> we've done trebles. We've made it to the Champions League final last season. But I think next season and, and moving forward, the squad will be targeting European glory. And yes, we've seen Barcelona, Lyon, PSG, Bayern Munich, some of the, the better squads and the quality that is required to make it. But this squad has a quality. We have Emma Hayes and with new ownership coming this summer, you never know what, what's in store in terms of recruitment. So once again, congratulations to the Chelsea women's squad. And, and we will be watching again next week with uh, hopes that we can complete a league and cup double. Absolutely. So let's move on to the men at the risk of getting hurt with our emotions here. We're gonna move I think on. we should just continue with the women. <laughs> this is the part that's tough because you come off the highs and lows, but mostly the women bringing the highs and the men bringing the lows. But Rahul, we played Wolves and I had a sneaky suspicion that it was going to be a tough game. In fact, I thought we would not score. It would end up being a draw. Let's run through the game. Ultimately, it ends up in the draw, but let's start with the starting 11. I'll actually walk through it for a minute here and then get your thoughts because it's pretty interesting to me. Uh, Mendy in goal, Cesar Azpilicueta, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger. Then you look at Reese James, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Mateo Kovacic, Marcus Alonso, and then here's where it gets very, very interesting. 
You and I called for Christian Pulisic. We got Christian Pulisic. You and I called for Lukaku. We got Lukaku. Timo Warner starts to partner Lukaku, which is another great thing that we like seeing. But we're, we're here. We're seeing the changes we get. And in that first half, Rahul, I don't really see much of this going on with striking or with differences or anything like that. But at least we can say Thomas Tuchel listened to us. It was good to see Ruben in midfield. It was good to see Pulisic in central attacking midfield, playing the number 10 role. And Lukaku and Timo Werner pairing themselves up top. Yeah, you're right. I mean, from the attack down in terms of midfield and defense, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I am surprised to see Pulisic and Lukaku, like you said. And I think they were fresh additions in the sense that Kai Havertz and Mason Mount did really need just a break. And was this the right game to do it? Uh, yes, in a sense, because Lukaku ends up getting two and Pulisic looks bright, but uh, ultimately we have a game midweek and then we have the FA Cup final. So I think if there was any opportunity to rest them, this was it. And I'm glad Tuchel took it. Yep. And so we get into that first half, like I said, nothing amazing happens, but I'll run through some key moments. I, I want to touch on Christian Pulisic because he was playing slightly off his left wing position, his preferred left wing position. And I, I feel like Tuchel does this to him on purpose, trying to throw him everywhere else on the pitch, except his preferred left wing position. But like you said, he was bright. He was making runs. He was finding plays. He finds Timo Werner with a lovely through ball. And I don't know how to describe this. So I'll ask you for your opinion in a second. Timo Werner, I don't know, elbowed or bodied the, the defender. And honestly, it was a lovely finish from Timo Werner. He was able to slot that in home. And I was ready to go off celebrating. But within a second, the referee blows the whistle for a foul. I watched it over and I watched it over and I watched it over. And, and I was wondering if I can even use the word body, because I, I don't know if it was that strong, but I'll, I'll pass it over to you for a second to give me your opinion. I, I think this is just out of habit. When they see Timo Werner score, the referees are just like, I think we just have to blow it because he yeah, might have been offside. <laughs> um, but all jokes aside, I think you're right. There wasn't really a foul in there. It's, it's a physical game. It's a contact game. The guy was maybe already on his way down when they, they the ball was played and Timo gets in position. So if... I hate doing this, but if this was Salah, Mane, De Bruyne, Jesus, Sterling, does it get called? I don't know, but uh, I, I won't get into that part of it. Uh, the good part of it was the, the through ball from Pulisic yep. and the run from Timo Werner and the finish. Ultimately, unfortunately, it doesn't get, get given and we just have to reset and try again. And Timo is the kind of guy that's pretty passive role. I like to see him maybe show his emotion towards the referee a little bit more. I'm not saying to get belligerent. I'm not saying to scream and hurt anybody, but maybe voice his opinion and say, what did I do? Why do you think that's a, a foul? Explain to me what's going on. And I think sometimes you get in the referee's ear a little bit. And, and I know this is a, a sticky sport because we've had a referee come on saying, don't do this. But I think it's part of the game where you get in the referee's ear a little bit and say, don't just call the decision. Tell me what's wrong. And the next time something like that happens, they're thinking twice about making that decision. Oh, even if it's not Timo, it's someone else, right? A, a, a captain, maybe Aspie goes and, and says a word to him or Lukaku in terms yep. of, you know, one of the leading or the, the more experienced guys in the squad. But ultimately, it's, it's not given and um, we just have to continue going. And I think we did, like you, like you said, Timo doesn't let things get to him and, and we did, and I think we were focused on 
on getting the goals, yes, in the first half, there were signs that Wolves were always going to get on the counter and, and potentially maybe end up scoring, which they didn't. And, and we'll talk about the second half. But I, I did want to point out that there were signs from Wolves all along that they had it in them to, to counter and maybe even get a goal ahead. And Wolves has a strong squad, Rahul. I think that's worth the mention that they always have players, the likes of Raul Jimenez, who always has a goal in him, Pedro Neto, even from midfield, Ruben Neves, and also Jao Moutinho. And even from their from their center backs, they're pretty tall, strong guys, and we'll cover them later off, later off in that second half. But one more important moment in that first half, which was interesting, is we do get another goal in the form of Ruben Loftus-Cheek sneaking a ball in at the fi- far post from a corner. It's very, very interesting because it gets flicked on the first time by a Chelsea player. Everybody seems to be onside. But as it makes it to the second player, which is Lukaku, it flicks his knee. And at that point, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is called offside. Of course, it was given first. It goes to my favorite system, VAR. And honestly, they got it right. 100%, they got it right. But it's one of those situations where you're now starting to see we need to take our chances a little bit early on because there were a few chances, but that's what happens in that first half. We go in nil-nil and... We're a little bit worried because, like you said, Wolves does have it in them for a counterattack. Yep, and not surprised really because the last few games at home, I think of West Ham nil-nil, maybe not Arsenal, but the one before that in terms of home games or games that we were expected to do well in against Newcastle, nil-nil. So that was kind of the pattern at least we had seen from Chelsea, especially when teams sit deep uh, and Wolves were, were deep. They were in their preferred system with the back three themselves. And um, ironic that the first game for uh, Thomas Tuchel was Wolves at home. First game under Todd Bowley, Papa Bowley, uh, (laughs) was Wolves at home. And both ended in a draw. And, you know, with Todd Bowley being in there, Rahul, I think it was a rude welcome to the Premier League. He saw what it's all about with the refereeing decisions and then getting excited and celebrating for Rubens Loftus' cheek, and then it's a VAR decision. And so maybe he's got a little bit of an awakening, Tim. Don't get off your seat just yet until the <laughs> final decision comes in. But Don't, don't get the, the, the whistle. <laughs> <laughs> don't burn your energy whistling until VAR confirms it's a goal. No, it's all in, in good humor. But we go into that second half, Rahul, and I think we come out a little bit more lively, as has been the tradition with Chelsea in the last few games here. Thomas Tuchel gets in the ears, maybe he tells them what to do. And Lukaku wins a penalty off of Roman CS. It seems like the defender got a little bit leggy, throws a leg out there and gets Lukaku dropped to the ground. He steps up. It's his first opportunity. And he slots it very nicely to the corner, I might add. And that's the first unofficial goal of the Todd Bowley era. Because, yes, he's in the running to be our new owner. But there's a few more pieces of paper and a few more documentation that has to go through. But... Nice to get Lukaku on the score sheet. Just what we wanted from the last few episodes we've been talking about. Yeah, I, and I was happy to see him take that penalty. Yes, Jorginho was on the pitch, so I think Lukaku was one of the first choices, but someone else could have stepped up and, and taken it. But I think Lukaku just needed a goal. And we said it against West Ham when Jorginho missed. Why didn't Lukaku take it? Well, he takes this one, does a good job, puts it away calmly, and... I think for him, and and we'll talk about it in the next couple of minutes, for him, it was one of those moments where it was like, finally, I have a Premier League goal. Because if I'm not wrong, this was the first time he had scored in the Premier League since December. 
you're probably right because it's been pretty dry for Lukaku in terms of goals in the Premier League. But what I'd like to point out is that I believe he made that goal as well. They found him. He was pushing through. He was being a little bit aggressive, which is, again, Rahul, everything that we wanted from Lukaku. And he wins the penalty in his own and he steps up to slot at home. And that's that's the most important thing. But coming off of that, did he need that goal? Absolutely, because a few moments later, it's a moment that shows that goal really, really helped him. And from that penalty, you start to see Wolves look a little bit shaky, maybe in sixes and sevens. They tried to clear the ball. It's poor passing. It comes to Kovacic, and I think this is very, very important because in a split second, he plays in Lukaku on the counter, and Lukaku beautifully slots this into the far right-hand corner on his weaker foot, might I add, runs off celebrating, and that second goal must do him a world of good, Rahul. It must. It did me a world of good just seeing him. <laughs> because, yeah, the first one is a penalty, but the second one is what we bought Lukaku for. Exactly. Um, and it's ironic that Wolves made a mistake and we punished them because it seems like in the last few weeks we just make the mistake and get punished. So it was good to see that uh, Kovacic played Lukaku in first time because that's the kind of service Lukaku needs. It's yep. Sometimes it's just that simple ball. You play it into his feet. He lets it run across him and, and bangs it in. And 2-0, I think, is the, what do we say, is the most dangerous score in the game. But also at that point, I think it was the 58, 59th minute, you're looking around and you're saying two could become three, maybe four, because Wolves need to come out and open up a little bit. Uh, and maybe Lukaku gets a hat-trick here. And, and it's all seeming and feeling a little more positive the last few weeks and the hurt and the pain that we've gone through with Charity FC and and, and throwing points away almost seem to have gone away. Todd Bowley's in the stands. He's celebrating and everyone's feeling good. And then Chelsea do what Chelsea do best. <laughs> Just let Wolves back into the game. Let them get comfortable from the 65th, 70th minute mark. It's, Wolves just started believing and, and Chelsea just got tired, you could say. Lost focus didn't believe that Wolves would get back into it and bang, Wolves are back to one. You, you transitioned so well into that part of the game. I didn't want to transition to that part <laughs> of the game because I was enjoying Lukaku's moment. But no, I think it, it's tough to talk about, but there's some key words I wanted to, to share. Lazy, unfocused, maybe nonchalant. We look tired. We were weak in many, op- in, in many positions. And honestly, I think we were just playing poor after that second goal went in. We just didn't look like the team we are. And just like you said, we allowed Wolves back in. Wolves bring on a young man, and I think I'm saying his name right, but Rahul, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Trincao or Trincao? Yeah, I think it's Trincao. Trincao. And he's dribbling through the midfield like he owns Chelsea, which is, <laughs> is tough. And he finishes with a lovely curler, like you said, to get them back on, on 2-1, which honestly, look, at 2-1, Rahul, we can see out a game 2-1. Yes, it's a dangerous score. But then I started looking at the replay and I said, Kovacic runs into Rudiger and smashes him out of the way. And I'm like, they're not even paying attention to each other. And that's when I start to get worried because from there, like you said, Wolves are in control and we go into the game and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. However, the referee puts nine, seven minutes at a time on the clock, which at this point we need to be hyper, hyper focused in the 97th minute. Connor Cody scores a header to go level. And I don't know what to say after this, Rahul. We're allergic to finishing top four. <laughs> it's, I, I said in the first half, there were signs, right? And, and there were signs all along this game that Wolves 
we're going to attack. We're going to come out and try to get a goal. And we got our goal, I said, in the 58th minute. Between then and when Wolves got their goal, in that 20-minute period, we should have killed the game or we should have shut it down. We did neither. We let them come back in. And for a good 10 minutes, they were the better side leading up to their goal. You said Kovacic ran into Rudiger. Well, Kovacic and Loftus-Cheek were the only choices we had, you could say, to start the game in midfield. But were they the right choices to finish the game? Probably not, because they both like to go forward, drive box to box, and with 64 games that we've played or are about to be playing towards the end of the season, that's a lot of time to be, you know, to, to have played. And what I'm trying to say is they just look tired. And Wolves were fresher. They came out. They found those pocket of spaces between their midfield and, and defense and took advantage of it. And, and again, with Trincao taking his first shot of the game and bending it in, you it's, again, we make one mistake, I guess, which is coach that lets him run off and then blocks Rudiger and they score. And, and that's the Premier League right now, is for Chelsea at least, is you give a chance, you can see the goal. And that's what's it's a tough pill to swallow, I think, because I wouldn't say for the entire game, for that 10 minutes of the first part of the second half, we were a, a dominant side. We were a side that, by the way, we've seen us do that for 19 minutes. And so we know we have it in us. And so I asked you an important question because it's a question that comes up every single episode now. Who's to blame? Is it our players? Is it our manager? Is it a combination of the two? Is it just we played too much football? I mean, it's a repeat question, but with regards to this particular game, where are your thoughts with this particular thing? I I don't want to call him out because he's done a lot of good for us this season, last season, since he's come in. But if I'm sitting here and I'm no master tactician, coach, I have no UEFA licenses, if I'm sitting, sitting here and telling you all along this game, Wolves were showing signs of scoring and we didn't do anything about it to shut it down, change our shape, maybe put a defender or midfielder in to just be more compact. We let it get to a point where they get one back and then for the final 10 minutes, they just have to attack, right? I think it comes down to Tuchel in this game where the in-game management was not up to the standard that we've expected. And... I'm not criticizing him in terms of I don't agree with what he's been doing. If this game ends to one, I don't think we care about the right. in-game management. But the fact that we waited, I don't know, 82nd, 83rd minute until we went to a back four with Malang Sar coming in as the left back. And Saul then went into midfield to make it a 4-3-3, 4-3-2-1, whatever you want to call it. And I think at that point, we seemed to come back into it a little bit. But we were just nervous. We were nervous from the fact that we've conceded four against Arsenal at home, four against Brentford at home. We've conceded uh, one here already, and, and we look like we're shaky. And ultimately, we made a mistake, which was we left someone open on the left wing. The ball comes in. Wolves have thrown a lot of people in. Some people are missing from their right-back position. I'm not going to call them out. Um, and I think we just waited too long to make those changes. We was alongside the right sub. I don't know. A lot of people said Chalaba should have come in. And you can say that now, but right. in the moment, Sar is the one who's played left back or played in that left defensive position. So he was the right option for me. Was Kai Havers the right option to come on for Lukaku? 
maybe not because we did have Timo Werner and Pulisic who could have just stayed up front and maybe occupied walls in them at least mentally to say these two have pace let's not push forward too much and thrown on maybe a Chalaba and said we're gonna have another center back in there or Chalaba go sit and be a defensive midfielder look it's ends 2-2 and we we're gonna complain about it but I think from Tuchel's perspective with a 50 48 win rate at home we just need to get better with the in-game management we do it. And to a certain degree, Raul, just to a certain degree, I will agree with you because for me, one of the most interesting subs was taking Romelu Lukaku off. I think he's a guy that's not played a lot of football so far this season. He's a guy that you and I, and I'm sure many other Chelsea fans have been screaming for to play. He scores two. As a striker, I'm very sure he was hungry to get that third and just get that hat trick and get that confidence to continue off. Fine. Tuchel makes a mistake, brings off uh, Lukaku, brings a different player late it's a different formation whatever that's fine ultimately though these players are lazy i think that's what i want to say so when i look at them specifically the kovacic incident i'm not singling him out it was a mistake but they're trotting back they're allowing players to run by them and look yes they're tired but come on do what you need to do to finish because i know if i was on the pitch and i hate to say that because I am in no fitness to run even three minutes in a Premier League game. However, if I was on the pitch, I would run till I could not run anymore. Because ultimately, there's a big difference between finishing third, going fourth to play qualifying, and unfortunately, getting sucked into fifth position. And now you're out of the biggest competition that, oh, by the way, there's a lot of financial impact on it. And you know we just got a new manager, that's a new owner that's sitting up in the stands watching. So if this guy comes for a contract renewal... Is this person worth it? I mean, ultimately, I look at it that way. Like, have some self-pride. There's a new owner sitting in there. Ultimately, yes, I get you don't have to, to wow him because you have Thomas Tuchel there. But Thomas Tuchel is also watching you playing. The summer's around the corner. A lot of changes can happen. Don't be lazy. And so I blame Tuchel a little bit for this. I do agree with you to a certain extent. But ultimately, all of these things are little issues and little mistakes where we, I've mentioned so many things, but just don't be lazy. Give you 100% till that final whistle blew. And look, it sucks. It went till the 97th minute. But wait till that final whistle blows and then go lay down. I don't care. Go lay down all you want. Get the massage. Go sit, sit in the ice bath. Whatever it is, just get it done while you're out on the pitch. And, and to add to that, right, we, we're in this top four battle, which we really shouldn't be in because yeah. we were targeting to be further up the table. Okay, we're third. We should finish third i i would like to say and i've said this to you already mentally we need to be prepared that we won't finish third because with the games we've got coming and the way we're playing it doesn't seem like we're going to pick up the points that would exceed what arsenal pick up and maybe i'm wrong and i i personally and seriously hope i am but um you look at this game right you're two nil up you've done the hard work you've done the work that requires you to get the three points like you're saying just see it through don't don't get complacent don't get lazy and say oh we're two up you know what it's it's gonna end up two one that's fine do the work and and get the three points here and then you can say the last two games of the season were yeah. clear six points of arsenal we can't afford to maybe be a little lazy not that you should ever be lazy as a professional but do it at the end of the season don't do it now because now we're looking at the end of the season saying we still got to put in an effort here against Leicester at home and Watford at home and Leeds away. And we have an FA cup final, which by the way, I have no faith in because our whole, 
whole idea of this team is built on defense. And right now we can't keep clean sheets. We can't defend. And by the way, we also can't score that many goals. So what are we, what are we going to do in the final? But that's, that's an issue for later this week. No, you make some fair points. It's been a disappointing day. It's been a disappointing few games because ultimately I know this team has it in them to be winners. We saw it last year where they can beat any team on any given day. So it comes down to these individual mistakes I do agree with you. It may come down to some of the tactical changes that Thomas Tuchel has to work on in the summer. And it will come down to some individuals. We may see some people leave Chelsea at the end of this summer, and you may see some new faces come in to refresh the squad. So I don't want to dwell on this result too much because we have a lot more football to play, and I'm just hoping we can continue to get positive towards the FA Cup final. But before we go, Raul, just one glimmer of hope, a small glimmer that I can take away from this was what I saw out of Romolo Lukaku tells me that he is not dead and finished in the Premier League. There is bits of him there that says there's a football in there. Play him quick enough. When he has that confidence, he could be a very, very dangerous player. And so hopefully he gets a good preseason and he's able to get off flying because we really need him to be on his game next season so that we can have a successful Premier League and potentially some other, other tournaments as well. But let's talk about some other Premier League results. Crystal Palace versus Watford. Watford confirmed as relegated. I mean, I kind of saw that coming. I know you did as well. Roy Hudson comes out of retirement just to go back down. Do you think he'll stay with them over the summertime or maybe he goes back in? He's, he's not staying. He, he's, <laughs> going, he's going to go back, retire. Um, it's, it's an interesting decision that he came back, given the fact that he had never been relegated. Yep. So now he's added that blemish on his CV. You could say not that um, anyone's going to be like, well, you got relegated in 2022 because he's he's been around for a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for him, I think that's almost more of a pride thing that I've never been relegated. And now you have, because Watford always seemed like they were going down. They were going down one reason or another, maybe not all on the pitch, but also off the pitch above the, the, the players and, and the, the coaching staff. But yeah, Watford joined Norwich City and now we're only left with one team to be determined. That's going to get interesting. Hold your thoughts on that one for a second, because I want to talk about Another team that's not getting relegated. They're not making top four, but they sure do play like they don't care about anything. And that's Manchester United, because I have a story to share with you. When (laughs) Brighton and Manchester United, the game kicks off on TV. I was watching a little bit of the opening scenes where Ronaldo's hugging everybody and patting everybody. I was like, oh, United versus Brighton. On paper, looking at the two guys coming out of the tunnel, United should win this one. So I went off to do some chores and some other things. I come lay down look at my phone and there's this Ronaldo smiling, shaking his head and Sky Sports talking about he's disappointed in his team. I said, okay, something weird must have happened. I checked United score and it says 4-0. Oh, United beat Brighton 4-0. What's going on? It took me a second, looked at the screen again and it was Brighton beat United 4-0. And while I'm surprised at the same time, Rahul, I'm not because Man United have not been the same Man United we've known for a few years. This is football heritage. (laughs) (laughs) It's disappointing to see because what we knew as Man United growing up was an incredible force. And it hurts me to say that because we are Chelsea people, but it was an incredible force to be reckoned with top in the Premier League week after week, season after season, year after year, going towards the final stages of the Champions League, always an FA Cup, a calling cup in them. But these days... They seem to only beat Chelsea, which is obviously the funny part of the story. But then with lower teams, they they get beat pretty badly as well. It's not it's not just a fluke here or there. They're played off the park sometimes. 
And that more disappointing for me is the fact that we did not beat them a couple of 10 days ago or so, because you saw how bad they are and how just broken they are, right? It's it's not just about being bad because there's quality in that squad. You look at Varane who came in, multiple Champions Leagues he's won. You look at through the midfield, Bruno Fernandes, who was being compared to the greatest Frank Lampard last season. Ronaldo up top. Uh, Ilanga, who's had a decent season. Yes, he's young, so you, you can't really pick on him. But Jaden Sancho, where was he? Tellers, who was supposed to be this awesome left back, is just can't defend. De Gea does his best, but he's conceded four. And it's like something's just not right in there. And it's obviously they know Ralph Ragnick's not going to be there. And, and there's a new manager coming, and most of these players won't be there. But it's just. But Rahul, what did they achieve by getting rid of Solskjaer? This nothing. Point? It seems like nothing. Yeah, it nothing. seems like they wasted their time bringing Ragnick and he changed a few things here and there. And in fact, in my opinion, they got worse. And so ultimately, they've signed a guy that's going to be there for two years. Okay, he's in an advisory role. But if he could not improve the team even a little bit while he was there, what's the advisory going to be? It sounds like it's just going to be another bit of interference in the day-to-day management. And I hope that's not true because Man United while it pains me to say are one of the world's greats, they have a long history. Like you said, football heritage, as you were chuckling away, (laughs) they they need to bring something of that back. And so it's going to get interesting over the next season here, how that works with Ragnik going up top and uh, Ten Hag coming in and all the changes of players. But ultimately there's something very, very wrong in that football club. And I I just don't know what it is. Yeah. If we knew, I don't think we'd be here. We'd be advising Manchester United. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on. I want to talk about Everton and Leicester. This was an interesting game on paper, and I think we both talked about it being very interesting, but it's becoming interesting for more reasons because Super Frank is getting the business done, Rahul, especially when it counts the most. They win against Leicester 2-1. Big, big result. Followed, especially followed up with what he had done last week against us, uh, six points in the last two games, and um, even the goal, they, <laughs> the goal they conceded, it was a, a, a comedy, right? Because you have Yerry Mina dealing with it. Seamus Coleman comes in from the back and takes him out, which basically lets Thatson Daka run in on goal and score. And it's like they do a lot of the hard work right, but then they just have these lapses in concentration and make these errors, which makes it difficult. But they beat Leicester, and I think Leicester, I say that now, but when they face us, they'll turn up. I think Leicester are pretty much done for the season, um, especially after going out of the Conference League last week. But for Everton, it's a massive result. And add to that what happened with the Leeds game uh, with Arsenal. I think Everton have now given themselves uh, 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 the best opportunity they could have with one game extra to play. And and with the games coming up, I think they have Brentford and Watford and... um, Watford relegated, Brentford safe. They have the opportunity to pick up points versus some of the other guys they have at the bottom. Yeah, and with that game in hand, it gives them a little bit of breathing room. Not a lot, maybe just a couple of gulps of air for them to get out. And so the business is not done. And lovely scenes from Frank Lampard coming out afterwards to thank the Everton fans for their support. And that's that's just who Frank Lampard is, which is why I've loved him a long time. I think he's a stand-up character and he always values what's important to the club. So I, for one, hope that they can win that game in hand and maybe get a little more breathing room towards the end of the season because I think Everton is 68 seasons, Rahul, without getting relegated, never been relegated. And so it's very, very important that they continue to do that for the history of Everton Football Club. 
But let's talk a little bit about another massive game, and that was Arsenal versus Leeds. You touched on it a little bit. Arsenal beat them 2-1. Anything more you can say about that? No, I. It it's interesting to me, right? Because the first goal in this game comes from a goalkeeping error. They lay it back to him. He takes a sweet time to play it out and gets closed down, and it's a goal. And it's like this whole, we've spoken about it, this whole idea of playing out from the back and and doing this beautiful football of like knocking it around and, and getting out of tight spots. In this case, when you're fighting relegation, just clear the hell out of that yes, ball. Yeah. Reset, do whatever you need to, because if you go down one nil, and it was pretty early in that first half, I think inside 10 minutes, you already have a tough task going yeah. away to Arsenal. You've conceded a goal early. And Arsenal, having seen our result and having seen what Spurs had done, knew a win here would basically put them in charge of their own destiny for Champions League. And they get the goal early and, and they see it through. Leeds then get a red card and they've made it difficult for themselves. But again, at the expense of saying Leeds are about to be relegated because they come up against Charity FC next. It was a bad result for Leeds because of what Everton did, uh, but then Burnley lost. So I think Leeds still have some hope, but games are running out. And, and I don't have any sympathy for Leeds as a Chelsea fan, but for Jesse Marsh, I, I feel a little bit because I think he needs to understand the predicament and position he's in. And maybe while Leeds and him are used to a specific type of football, like you said, when you're at this particular situation and you're battling relegation, don't try to be cute try to get the result, get it done. And, and it's a tough lesson to learn, Rahul, because if he doesn't do it quick over the next few games, and like you said, Charity FC is around the corner. If he doesn't do it good and, and quickly, it could be an interesting thing for him to try and bring them back up next season. But I saved the last two games for, for the last because it's been an interesting weekend. It was Liverpool versus Spurs and then Manchester City versus Newcastle. And it was very interesting because... Liverpool versus Spurs was the first game and we said Manchester City know exactly what they need to do next and I don't know how to describe this one it ends up being a draw 1-1 but I'll allow you to talk a little bit about maybe the aftermath of the game and what some some words were said about that yeah so on on paper when you looked at the fixtures for both the sides Liverpool and, and Man City I think Spurs was the fixture for Liverpool that was the, the question mark right you didn't know if they could win it you expected them to win it, but you knew Spurs and Conte would have something up their sleeve, and they did. They came, they sat deep, they used their up, uh, attacking guys up front, Kane, Son, Kulosevsky, and made it difficult. And arguably on another day, should have gone in 1-0 up at halftime. Liverpool just a little bit of maybe a hangover from the Villarreal game, at least from that first half, where they just didn't seem themselves. Uh, they end up getting a draw, which is is the characteristic of this team. They'd never really go away. And even though Spurs scored first, Liverpool came back, got the draw, and ultimately would have wanted the win. They didn't get it. And then Klopp comes out and spoke about it. I didn't watch the whole interview. I, I watched clips on, on, on Instagram and on social media. So, of course, maybe those were tweaked a little to make it seem like he was having a go at, at Spurs and their defensive football because that's something he could never coach and he's just so all-out attack and and he's so great. Um, but those were the comments and I think they asked Conte and Conte just laughed it off and, and basically was like, I've won a title as many times as Klopp has and I've only been in the Premier League for two and a half seasons. <laughs> uh, no, but jokes aside, it's, what do you think of that is 
is he right to have a go at, at defensive football? Because ultimately, every team is entitled to play they want, the way they want to, right? And that's the beauty of this game. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. The reason I say that is because we've had managers in Jose Mourinho that have played like this for many a season and said, I've got results, I've won trophies, everybody else leave me alone. And so ultimately, I look at it this way, and I chuckle a little bit because now we're talking about the flip side where people are criticizing a different team. And so I look at a third party and I find it, I find it interesting because I've been as a Chelsea fan in Conte's seat where we're, we're supporting Jose Mourinho and said, who cares how you win a game? Who cares? Ultimately, you get the result. And of course, they didn't win the game. They get the draw. From, from Liverpool's perspective, Rahul, I think I've, I've come to expect more from them. Where, like you said, they're the team that never goes away and they get the business done. And so ultimately, instead of, and again, I didn't watch the full interview. I watched the snippets just like you. But instead of pointing figures at Spurs' style of playing and Conte's style of getting the results, look at your team again. Because you're the guys that have found a way to break everybody down. And by the way, Liverpool have had some massive results this year. Not in terms of like beating some teams, but six nails and three nails and five nails. And they break teams down very well. So maybe look at your team. Maybe look at yourself. Did you pick the right 11? Did you substitute the right players? Did you motivate them enough? Because there could have been a hangover. And so I've said a lot, but ultimately I don't know what's right. I, I don't know if Klopp deserves, I mean, ultimately he's free, he deserves to say whatever he wants to say, but Conte <laughs> deserves to play and say whatever he wants to say as well. And, and that's a good way to put it, right? There's, uh, you can say all what you want in, in, the, in the media, but ultimately the job has to be done on the pitch. And uh, I think for Conte and Spurs, they would have preferred the three points, but no, no shame in picking up another draw. They haven't lost to Liverpool this season. They beat Man City twice. So looking at that side, I feel pretty good that we beat Spurs four times. <laughs> um, but now we're only, what's it, five points ahead of them. So things could change, but hopefully not. This London Derby and North London Derby in midweek is going to be massive, not just for two teams, but for us too. So we'll be watching closely. But the other team you wanted to talk about was Manchester Man City. City. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so they had the chance to watch what was going on with Liverpool Spurs. They obviously found out they drew and whether this had a motivation or losing in the Champions League in midweek had motivation. I don't know. I said this could go two ways in the previous episode. I said either Newcastle could do something amazing and we'd be talking about it regardless or Manchester City could just go nuts and <laughs> destroy Newcastle. I guess they picked the latter because they just came out like a house on fire. They thumped them five nil with some pretty amazing goals, beautiful play, Jack Grealish involved in a few of them as well. And I don't know what more to say, but at this point, it's Manchester City's title to lose. It absolutely is. And I guess for me, that was the the the, the silver lining from the least from the Premier League this weekend <laughs> was uh, Man City go a little bit clearer and, and squash those quadruple talks for, for, for Liverpool. Because like we said in the last episode, Man City can win the league. Real Madrid can win the Champions League. Chelsea might win the FA Cup. I'm, I'm not sure about that. And leave Liverpool with what it is, Jackie? The Mickey Mouse season. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't want to criticize Liverpool and the Mickey Mouse season too much because it's going to end up hurting us in the end. But let's, let's move on and talk about the game that we have to come up against. And we're Charity FC and we're playing Dirty Leeds. And so you never know what's going to happen. But why don't you give us a rundown of what's going to happen in the starting 11, maybe a predicted 11. Charity FC returns and returns at the right time, I guess, because Leeds haven't won in their last two. 
lost to Arsenal, lost to City. Actually, they haven't won in their last three because they also drew to Palace. Their last win came against Watford at the beginning of April. So they're long overdue for a win, my friend. And, and you know what that means when they're facing the blue team from West London. We just say, here you go. Here are your three points. Have a great, <laughs> great holiday. Enjoy your summer. Uh, and they need it, right? Leeds need it. I'm not advocating for the fact that we need to give it to them because we need it too. Um, and there's three games left this season for both teams. And for Leeds, obviously, it's surviving in, in the league for us. It's top four. Yes, we still have two games where we could ultimately do the business, but you know the history between us and Leeds. As we call them dirty Leeds for a reason. And so it would be nothing more satisfying than beating Leeds and basically saying, you're going down. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're out for blood today. I think the last results has got you a little bit riled up, but I do tend to agree with you. I think while it is a dirty leads and it's a local derby of sorts, which we don't know why it's called that kind of derby, but it is. It's that opportunity for not only Leeds to be fired up because they need the three points for hope for us to be fired up because we need the three points. And I, I say this with a quotations or an asterisk. I'm not advocating anybody to go out there and break any legs or <laughs> damage any bones. It should be a nice fiery fixture, but ultimately charity FC needs to go away and allow Chelsea FC to perform. So Coming back to you, give me the starting 11, sir. Oh, man. Mendy in goal. As for the right center back. I, I wonder if Thiago Silva plays this game because we do have the cup final coming. True. But the way I've seen Leeds at home, especially in the last game against Man City, where they lost 4-0, but those fans were just full out singing for the, the team. I don't know if Christensen's ready for that and, right. and if he's even mentally here. So Silva has to play, Rudiger has to play, Reese James has to play. If Jorginho and Conte aren't fit, I think Kovacic and, and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. The, the bigger question I have here for you is Alonso, who we hear rumors now has had a bust-up, a heated bust-up with Tuchel at halftime, and that was the reason he was subbed. So if that is the case, and, and give me your thoughts on the bust-up and who you think comes in. For Alonso. Yeah, look, this is not the first, second, or even third time that we've heard Alonso linked with another manager with another bust up. And so at some point, you've got to say, is it the player, which is potentially the truth behind the situation? Ultimately, Rahul, I don't know what's true and not true, what's reported, if it's coming out accurately, if it's not. If it's indeed a bust up, goodbye, Alonso. I'm sure you will not play for us again because there's probably a line that Chelsea will draw on the sand and say, big summer coming up, you're at the wrong age of 30. You're a decent left back, but Ben Chilwa, once fully fit, will be the first choice. We can go find somebody else to be a backup. It's time for you to move on. If there was no bust-up, I still do believe, and I know we spoke with Dylan from Carefree Blues a few weeks ago, I still do believe he's our best choice for left wing back. So if there's no bust-up, it was just a tactical switch. Everything's amicable. Alonso has to start. If it's a bust-up, I'm looking to maybe bring in uh, Malang Sar because Tuchel seems to favor, favor him defensively at the left wing back position. I, I tend to agree with you, and I here's what I think, right? Is this the first bust-up or heated discussion Tupul's had with a player at halftime? Probably not. Is it going to be the last? Probably not. There's still a job to do here. Alonso may leave in the summer, but there's still three, four games with the, the cup final. He is our only real out-and-out left wing back. Unless he's, things were said towards Tupul that undermine his authority right. and, and some of those things, I think just 
both sides come together for the benefit of the team, do the job, and then go your separate ways in the summer. So in that case, if, if it is the way I think it went down, Alonso should start. If not, maybe Saul comes in. I, I, I don't know. But I think up top, Mason Mount, Kai, and I think Lukaku deserves a start again. I have to agree with you. I think Lukaku, if he is willing to continue to be positive and make those runs like he is, and we find him, you've got to continue playing him, especially if he's a man on form. We rewarded people like Timo Werner and people like Kai Havertz when they score goals. Let Lukaku play. I, and I agree. And I think with the cup final coming, an informed goal-scoring Lukaku is better than one that's scored in the last game and then dropped for this game. So 100% agree. <laughs> what is your score prediction? Oof, Charity FC is going away, Rahul. I'm not going to allow them back in. I'm going to go for 2-0. Impressive. Yes. I, I don't know how we keep a clean sheet because we, we haven't. And leads are like leads are going to be fired up. Their fans are going to be 100% behind them. The referee might be impacted by the atmosphere. We may be impacted. I think all the pressure is on leads because of survival and all of that and so for me i'm okay taking a draw out of this game we cannot lose it give me a 2-2 give me a 1-1 give me a nil nil for all i care just get a draw and get out of there because then our final two games are at home and if we really need it i think we can get the job done at home versus away to leads on the wednesday night under the lights Seems a little stressful for me. A lot of justification there, Rahul. <laughs> I don't need that justification for that draw. Ultimately, the listeners will hear what you have to say. They'll <laughs> see your score prediction on Instagram. You can justify to them all day, my friend. But I'm trying to go for the win here. I, I think more than anything, I'm just justifying to myself. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I'm making myself believe that a draw is okay because uh, a, a win will be out of this world all the pressure off of us going into the last two games. But I think with the final coming, players may tend to hold back a little bit. I don't know. We'll just have to see how it goes. But 2-2 for me. And, and we'll see how it goes on Wednesday night. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at the Premier Chels. And subscribe to us on YouTube if you're watching us. Uh, once again, congratulations to the, the women's squad and hopefully the men come through in the next couple of weeks and, and we can put an end to this season and, and look forward to Papa Boli's uh, new era uh, and send us your feedback. We will be back with a new episode, but until then, stay safe and up the chels.